You could argue that Tuesday's primary in Missouri vacillated wildly between conventional wisdom and shocking surprises. On one end of the spectrum was Proposition A, which was a referendum deciding whether Missouri's right-to-work law remained in effect. Powered by millions of dollars from state and national labor unions, Missourians voted by more than 65 percent of the vote to kill right-to-work. It was a moment that brought exhilaration for people like Missouri AFL-CIO President Mike Lewis. This is truly about rebuilding the middle class of America. But in a very surprising development, politicians that were heavily associated with organized labor didn't benefit from Prop A's coattails. That included St. Louis County Prosecutor Bob McCullough, who was defeated soundly by Ferguson City Councilman Wesley Bell. What we had that he did not have was the power of people. On this edition of Politically Speaking, Joe Manis and Rachel Lipman joined me to break down yesterday's primary and what it means for Missouri and regional politics. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in our St. Louis studios today is... Uh, colleague Joe Manis. And... Colleague Rachel Lipman. And it is 1.20 on, on Wednesday, the day after... 1.20 p.m. PM. <laughs> we were here at 1.20 a.m. Yes, we were here at... I was here till 4 a.m. So. And, and I and I uh, came here at 4.45 a.m. To, to have some fun with NPR. Uh, this was a bizarre, strange election. Actually, I think it's a good way to put it. I, I think that uh, we're going to get into why, um, because there's a lot of ground to cover in a relatively short amount of time while we still have a little bit of energy. Um, let's, let's talk about the statewide races first and then move into the what I would argue the more interesting developments in St. Louis County, a, a development that really doesn't surprise many people. Proposition A, which was a referendum on whether Missouri's right-to-work law remained in effect or was repealed, was repealed with, I think, over 67 percent of the vote. Um, this race was—this one was not even close. I think that even proponents of right-to-work, which is shorthand, proponents choose to describe a policy that bars unions and employers from requiring workers to pay dues. I don't even think that they expected Proposition A to pass. I think that they were just hoping— that it wasn't going to be this big of a margin. Is that fair to say, Joe? Yeah, no, I think it's definitely fair because, frankly, this is going to sound cold, but many of the Republican donors had been pushing for uh, Prop A because they had been the ones who were behind passing of the right-to-work law in early 2017. So you have a lot of legislators. I'm I'm looking at you, St. Charles County, where— uh, Prop A lost by by a margin of more than two to one, and you've got all these Republican legislators, who many of whom are conservatives, who are very powerful in Jeff City. And now, I mean, what are they going to do? Well, that's actually a great segue into one of the many clips from Mike Lewis, who is the president of Missouri AFL-CIO. While he was giving his victory speech surrounded by dozens of union workers last night, he made this comment. I couldn't think of a more perfect way to close this ugly chapter of what has happened in politics in Missouri. We're prepared to work together with the leadership up there, but we want policies that will benefit all Missourians, like investment in infrastructure, workforce development, 
in the creation of good-paying jobs, not just jobs. Lewis went on to say that they're going to go after people that voted for right to work, and they're going to defend people that oppose it. Um, obviously, I think labor unions would have preferred this to be in November so they could also help some of those candidates more directly. Um, but what what I'll, I'll throw it to you, Rachel, like what 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 do you think will end up happening? Do you think this will be an issue that will resonate in November or is this just a flash in the pan from from your outside observation? Well, I think if the General Assembly or leadership in the General Assembly starts kind of making noises that they want to bring this back up again in January when the legislative session goes back, that may kind of prove to be the galvanizing factor that gets unions out in November more than they may be for Democratic candidates. If they sort of wait a little bit, let the dust settle, kind of feel out the membership, feel out or feel out uh, legislators who may be supportive of right to work, get a sense of, of how vulnerable they may be. I think it may be a little bit of a flash in the pan, so it'll be interesting to see the message like leadership and the business community s sort of send to each other in Jefferson City about whether they restart this issue ahead of November. I talked with State Senator Bob Onder, who is a Republican from the aforementioned St. Charles County, and the question I posed him was, given the large margin of defeat for right to work, would the legislature broach this issue next year. This is part of what he had to say. And we will never get the kind of uh, kind of oper economic opportunities like new auto plants, new manufacturing plants, um, such as the one that Volvo opened in South Carolina in 2015, the first time we voted on right to work, until Missouri becomes a free-to-work state. So uh, I think we're going to eventually be a, be a freedom-to-work state, but I think we'll have to analyze the results and uh, decide how to, how to go forward from here. Well, I think one of the things that may give Andra a little bit of hope is the other thing that happened yesterday. While Prop A lost big, Labor won big, there were virtually no coattails. It was incredible. I mean, it, that's that I think is like the huge story, and it makes it may make people wonder. Well, would it would it have mattered if it was on the November ballot if it didn't have coattails? Because you had a lot of Republicans who also voted against right to work, which is something that Andre may be thinking about. But the point is, if you look at St. Louis County, um, Steve Stinger, he had wrapped his ads around. Um, Prop A, his opposition to it, and, and aligning with labor. His last big ad was all about him as a little boy going door to door with his dad. The last time it was on the statewide ballot, um, and he barely, barely won by 1,100 votes. You look at State Senator Jay Cummel, who was like, who is one of the top officials in the state AFL-CIO, lost. Um, you've got. Uh, St. Louis County Prosecutor Bob McCullough, who we're going to talk to in a minute. It wasn't like he was out there on Prop A, but, you know, he made, you know, he was so, sort of a supporter. But but you look up and down the uh, ticket of the results on Tuesday, and really what people, the people stands on right to work, really, and Prop A, really had no, had, had appeared to have no um, uh, effect on how they did. Conventional wisdom, I think, for a lot of people was that Proposition A being on the August ballot rather than the November ballot would help Stanger and McCullough out a lot more than it did. It may have helped Stanger. That's a 64 hundredths of a percent margin between yeah, the, him and Mark Montavani. Right. When you're the sole survivor, you have to think about <laughs> who provided the life raft. Right. But it 
didn't help Bob McCullough. No. McCullough got smoked in his race. Now, it's like a 24,000 vote margin in a county that is still predominantly white. And, and, and but before we get to that, okay, I haven't looked at the final numbers in St. Louis County, but I think Proposition A failed by more than 70%. Yes, Steve, yes, it's close to 72. Steve Stanger had every endorsement from organized labor. And and he, they did a robocall the night before. You know, he should be, take solace in a hard-fought victory. In that type of environment, when you have that level of support and you could take advantage of that big of a headwind, you only win by less than 1% of the vote. But at the same time, um, it, I had someone point out to me that being against right to work and the idea that, you know, you, you should have to kind of you know, pay in, have unions, or union membership can be a requirement of a work, doesn't necessarily mean that you're sort of a traditional union voter or a union supporter. It's an economic justice issue for a lot of people to support unions. And some of those people may have other beefs with Stanger. They have other beefs with McCullough, other reasons that you can split. Splitting your vote no on Prop A and for Mark Montavani or no on Prop A or Wesley Bell is not as strange as it seems. You're right. There should have been a bigger cushion in there, just kind of given, you know, unions, population, and whatever, but still, statewide, more people who than who are in unions turned out to oppose Proposition A. Now, let's talk about uh, Bob McCullough, Wesley Bell. And I, I know I'm going on zero hours of sleep, so my <laughs> hyperbole level is at, like, level 300 right now. But I think I can safely say this is one of the most impressive electoral victories in the history of St. Louis County. Well, I mean, as a surprise, as a, I mean, as a surprise, there may have been some that were big, but everyone expected it. Yes. Well, I, I think surprise victories, though, can be more important than the expected right. ones. Yes. Well, that's my point. And, and, that's my and point. Let's, and race has a lot to do with why this, this, this win was so impressive. Bell is an African-American, and the conventional wisdom, be based off history, is that if you're an African-American candidate in a county that's 75% white in St. Louis County— if you did not have the support of a major interest group like organized labor, like Charlie Dooley did in 2004, 2006, and 2010, your chances of winning are very low because it, it, it didn't happen without those circumstances. You saw in 14, Charlie Dooley was abandoned by organized labor and he lost. Uh, Wesley Bell had some union support. I believe the SEIU endorsed him. But and so did the uh, NEA, the Education And so did the NEA. But every other union was for Bob McCullough, who I should emphasize, before Michael Brown, Bob McCullough was probably the most popular Democratic official who was not in statewide office in the entire state of Missouri. Just ask Claire McCaskill and Chris Coster what I'm talking about. To go from that to... Wesley Bell not only winning, but winning by like 15 percentage points. Right. Something like that. Yeah, I think it was 57 is, yes. is an incredible accomplishment. There's no way he could have accomplished this without binding together a, 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 a cross-racial, cross-generational coalition that I don't think has ever been seen in St. Louis County before. And he, he talked a little bit about this after he declared victory on Tuesday. I mean, just a lot of great organizations, a lot of great people. Um, I mean, groups, public defenders, prosecutors, law enforcement, but also activists and everyone in between. And so that's what I'm proud about this, this campaign is that we brought so many diverse groups together for a common cause, and it paid off tonight. So you've heard my uh, babbling on this. Rachel, you, you covered this race. It mm -hmm. should, should, 
is the hyperbole worth it in this instance? I think it is. I think you'd probably get some pushback on the groups that organized for Bell that the people are a major interest group in the county. They'd quibble with your language here. But as uh, Kayla Reed, who is with uh, Action STL, they ran the woke voter campaign not only in this race, but in uh, the race for prosecutor in the city of St. Louis when Jennifer Joyce retired. She said that a lot of it had to do with People just wanted an alternative. There hasn't been a viable alternative on the St. Louis County prosecutor ballot for Democrats since 1990 when McCullough was first elected. He's had Republican challengers a couple of years in there, I think 90 and 94. But since then, there's literally been no other option on the ballot. And um, Bell presented a a viable candidate who had support, who had positions that – people could get behind. Uh, he is talking about eliminating cash bail. He will says he'll never impose the death penalty. He is advocating for more transparency, increased use of diversions, a lot of, you know, kind of criminal justice reform issues that have become a lot more to the forefront since 2014. And I'm kind of losing my train of thought because like Jason, we're all yeah. running on, on a, not a whole on fumes. But I, I think, yeah, it is. It, they were just kind of given a viable alternative and a, enough groups sort of put organizing efforts into it, reached out and made those contacts to be able to, to say to people, you know, you have an option, go and vote. And people did. Now, I think a key thing that we shouldn't ignore is how hard Bell worked. Oh, yeah. At my house in Webster Groves, I got at least three flyers from Bell Camp. I got nothing from McCullough, which kind of surprised me. Um, I talked to a number of young lawyers, uh, some of them who I know pretty well, and a number of them were going for Bell because they liked his message. And from everything I heard, I was at camped out at the Stinger um, watch party uh, Tuesday night, was that um, McCullough did not recognize the threat that Bell faced until just a few weeks before. And by that time, he didn't have the money or the time to really coordinate and put a strong campaign on the air and really do something about it. I think he was so used to not having serious opponents that um, he, he didn't recognize um, the broad support uh, that Bell was getting. And I think there also is a generational aspect here. You saw that in some other races as well. Which we'll talk about. Yeah, in which where you had some younger uh, progressives and Democrats who are a little wary of some of the older folks. And, um, and so in some cases, when they see a viable alternative who is closer in age and who they see as part of the future, I think then they went there. I think McCullough had the money, even with the outside groups that he uh, that supported Wesley Bell and put some money into them for fundraising and organizational support and outreach and other kind of things. Uh, McCullough still outraised Bell and he brought it in from like traditional labor unions, etc. I think it was more a question of of time and enthusiasm. I mean, I got into some of the Facebook groups for volunteers for Bell just to kind of see what was going on. And they were posting, you know, we'll have a canvas here, we'll have a canvas there, we'll have a canvas there. Um, I reached out to, you know, the McCullough campus to say, hey, is there a canvas I can tag along on or take a picture? No, we don't really have anything organized so he had the money I just don't know if he had the time to kind of turn it around or the organization to be able to kind of flood and and canvas and talk about it because I think he was looking at it the old school way and not the new school way to social media but then again as I said even the traditional flyers 
I, I am told he sent him out. I'm just saying that anecdotally, I didn't see him. I'm I, in the city. I wouldn't I, see him. I, I do got to ask this question because a lot of activist groups and a lot of national, you know, social justice, criminal justice groups, you know, gravitated toward Bell probably because they were upset with the way McCullough handled the Michael Brown situation. But some activists in the St. Louis area have been wary of Bell because he was either a prosecutor or judge in some smaller St. Louis County municipalities that don't have the best reputations. Now, as far as dealing with their residents and, and imposing large fines on poor people. Right. And, and I always am a little bit careful to, you know, cast some of those cities in a, in a completely negative light. Because oftentimes the ones that are highlighted happen to be majority black-run cities, whereas there are plenty of bad actors in wealthier, whiter cities that may not get as much scrutiny. Max but, Creek was a you know little on that the law is named for that limits fines and fees is not a majority black town. But, but Rachel, like, what, was there any sort of like internal conflict between Bell's experience in the municipal, prosecutorial, and judicial arena? and deciding to go all out for him. Because obviously the results speak for itself, but that was his experience. And and some would say uh, that experience isn't necessarily a good thing. Not that I saw played out. I think a lot of people sort of weighed it as you have a candidate who is saying the things that they want to hear. He's talking about reforming cash bail. He's talking about, you know, limiting the use of the death penalty, transparency, doing a lot of the criminal justice reform issues that these national groups are pushing. Uh, They're looking, I think, to how he's worked kind of in Ferguson with the consent decree. And like Joe mentioned, they're willing to kind of give him a chance in the future. They know... Excuse me. They know McCullough. They know what he does. They know what his policies do. As one of the organizers pointed out to me, she's 28 years old. McCullough has been in office literally since she was a baby. I mean, for just kind of generations in St. Louis, he has been the elected county prosecutor. So I think that they're hearing in sort of the broader criminal justice reform that his thinking has evolved, that he has had his eyes open to how the system as a whole plays out. And he's willing to kind of take those reform ideas up to St. Louis County. So were there sort of in internal conversations about do we get really far behind this? Maybe. But when they made the decision to go all in, they went all in. And we talked about that particular issue when Bell was on Politically Speaking. I I highly recommend, if you haven't already, listen to that whole show. You'll get a very vivid sense on what he plans to do when he becomes St. Louis County Prosecutor. And since there's no Republican, he will be the next St. Louis County Prosecutor. And also the first African-American St. Louis County Prosecutor, I believe. So let's talk about the county executives race, which is amazingly, despite the fact that jillions of dollars were spent and it got extremely nasty, is not the first thing that we're talking about. We're talking (laughs) about the prosecutor's race. So as we talked about a few minutes ago, as of now, 1.38 p.m. and 32 seconds, Stanger has about a thousand vote lead over Mark Montavani. It is a win. A win is a win, even if it's a win that may should be bigger. And uh, after such a a nasty and contentious campaign where, you know, Stenger was being accused by Montavani camp of being corrupt and Montavani was accused of being a closet Republican by Stenger. What what, what do we kind of what is the big takeaway, Joe, from from this result? Well, aside from what I've said before, that probably had no coattails. I think it also underscored that uh, Stinger, there's a lot of distrust of Stinger, even among some people who voted for him or even among uh, those who didn't. Uh, So that I thought it was intriguing, like it is Victory Party um, Tuesday night, 
Most of the labor people were at Prop A. I mean, his kind of people floated in and out. But I think it does show that he's got a lot of work to do. If he wants to get anywhere in his uh, second term, he's going to need to uh, ease some of the tensions between him and the county council. Now, to be fair, they're not all of his doing. I mean, there's some members of the county council who, um, I mean, politics, everybody has their own agenda, okay? So I, I want to get that out there. So he's trying to uh, call for a truce. The issue is going to be is if any of the council members agree to go along or if they continue this battle for four years. Four years. Now, uh, Stanger talked about this desire to, to work together uh, with the county council uh, last night. This is part of what he had to say. You know, I think that a lot of what we saw in sort of the, oh, the confrontational atmosphere came about as a result of the election. You know, uh, and I think that now that that's over and we're through that, you know, there are several Democrats on the council. We're going to be moving into the general election. I think that uh, we'll be able to move forward. Like they kind of, now that they know they have to work with you, maybe they will. Is that what you're saying? Well, I think that's part of our democracy. You know, there's a natural tension between the legislative branch and the executive branch. There always is going to be. You know, when you think about the presidents that we've had of the United States, the governors that we had of the state of Missouri, you know, there's often tension between the legislative body and the you know, the executive branch. And I think that it's natural. I think that in some cases it's healthy. I think in most cases it's healthy. And it's just something that we all have to get through because you're absolutely right. We all do need to work together and we need to work together to do the people's business of St. Louis County. So I just want to put something in perspective for our listeners. When Stenger entered office in 2015, he basically had a six to one majority in the council. By January 1st, 2019, he will have zero allies on the council. Yeah, so it's not exactly like he has to work with them. So, and that that's because a councilman, Pat Dolan, who happens to be Joe and myself's councilman, I don't think I in used... In the 5th District. In the 5th District. And well, he's a labor guy. And he's a labor guy. Another labor casualty. Guy, yeah. Didn't know Prop A coattails there. Lost by, I think, 20 percentage points to Lisa Clancy. It was not even close. I talked with her earlier today about a desire to work together eventually because four years of incessant conflict, as, as I told her, taking off my journalist hat and putting on my St. Louis County resident hat just doesn't seem terribly healthy to do anything in St. Louis County. This is what she had to say. If Sanger is elected again, I hope I hope he comes around. I hope we can work together. I hope we can, you know, I, I hope there can be a, a, uh, a clean slate, I guess, so to speak, because ultimately this is about getting good things done for St. Louis County and for the whole region. And I, I don't see how that constant state of conflict um, with him would be a happy place for him. I mean, I, I hope we can, I hope we can figure it out. I do kind of want to talk about Stanger's long-term political prospects because he's St. Louis County executive. And because as of now he can raise unlimited amounts of money because of Amendment to shortcomings. I've always thought that Stanger was a possible statewide candidate, maybe for governor, maybe for one of the other down ballot statewide offices. Joe, after last night's results, where he won, but probably should have won by a larger margin, is his future political stock uh, still still sterling, or do you think it's it's a it's a little bit tarnished at this point? Well, I think there's no question. I mean, that he faces trouble if everyone's to run for anything else. And I do want to put that in perspective. All you got to do is ask Gene McNary, who was a, quote, popular Republican county executive for more than a decade. What happened? He ran for governor, lost. He ran for the U.S. Senate, 
lost. County executives have a horrible record in St. Louis County of getting elected to anything else. And I got to ask this. Do you think Jake Zimmerman regrets not running against Stanger? Well, I saw Zimmerman at uh, Stanger's event last night. Uh, he would only engage in pleasantries and sort of <laughs> headed quickly out as I grabbed my mic. So I think Zimmerman doesn't want to talk about it yet. But I think Jake Zimmerman is obviously the one uh, Democrat in St. Louis County. Who's who, the assessor, by the who's way. Who's the assessor who um, he does have an opponent in November, but he's expected to win. Uh, Zimmerman is is an interesting character. He's very good at raising money. He's popular among many inside Democrats. So I think Zimmerman is obviously going to be waiting in the wings, and he'll be watching. His plan always had been, from many people I talked to, to maybe run for prosecuting attorney when McCullough retired. Well, that's not going to happen. Now you've got this young guy, Wesley Bell, in office. So I think Zimmerman's probably reassessing what he should do in the future, because frankly, most politicians will tell you spending a lot of time in the coulda, shoulda, woulda game is a waste of time. I just got to point this out. Lisa Clancy is 33, and she's considered like very, very young to be on the county council. As a 34-year-old, I, I, I believe that I have a lot of life experience, and I believe uh, future councilwoman Clancy does as well. I just find it interesting that like 33 34 is considered like equivalent to 25 in like st louis city or something like that uh, talking well, to be fair you can't even run for some offices until you are 35 uh, president so. in the last few minutes let's talk about some of the other uh things that happened josh holly won easily over 10 opponents i mean he got 58 percent of the vote I, I i'm of the camp that you don't really read that much into the percentage no. because he, the, the the second place person got nine percent and there's a lot of candidates, and you know, I think the big uh, the big thing now is his general election with McCaskill. Is that fair to say, Joe? Oh yeah, and she got about eighty percent of the Democratic vote. So anyway, she did a press call this morning, and uh, I just finished listening to the recording because luckily I was able to farm out the actual recording at seven forty-five. We have very helpful. Yeah, Wayne Pratt. Yeah, Wayne cor- Pratt yes, I owe you a soda or something. But um, he's a beer guy. One of the, one of the interesting things in the call was that she emphasized that the Democratic turnout on Tuesday statewide was over six hundred thousand votes, and she said that has never happened in modern history in in Missouri, and she compared it to half that as far as the Democratic turnout in the more recent primaries. Now, Republicans, more Republicans statewide actually still came out, but just barely. So I think she sees that as a sign that especially if she captures some of the suburban Republican independent votes, which is what she did in 2012. I mean, she's focusing on that. I mean, she was she's trying to incorporate the worker message uh, from the Prop A thing, but I think she's also probably mindful of the fact that the uh, the coattails weren't there yesterday, so she's going to move on. Some other developments in the 14th District Senate race. Brian Williams, a longtime aide to Lacey Clay, beat Sharon Pace and Joe Adams for that seat. Uh, a big win for Lacey Clay, who yes, also won re-election over Cory Bush by 20 percentage points. There were some other interesting state legislative contests. I saw that Steve Butts narrowly won his race. Outside of the recount margin, but yeah. Travis Estes. Chris Carter Sr., who lost to Joshua Peters in 2014, won in the race to succeed uh, Joshua Peters in the 76th District. 
Um, I think that there were some interesting results in North St. Louis County, where Kevin Windham Jr. and Rachel Prouty won open seats in the Ferguson area and also like the Velda Village Hills area. Those are two young newcomers who I think are very promising. Um, but I do want to talk in the last couple minutes about Jake Hummel losing uh, Huge. To, to State Representative Carla May. I have to be very candid. This absolutely shocked me. We did not cover this race, and I, I feel very regretful we didn't pay more attention to it because we obviously should. That's my Maya Coppola. Although but, we ran out of runway. We just had too many races, and there's only three of us. But this wasn't even a close race, and you got to give – all the props you possibly can to Carla May. I just want to kind of to, to talk a little bit about her elector, electoral history. Uh, Representative May, who I believe is the daughter of Perry May, yes. the, the, long, the former register, um, she ran a couple of times unsuccessfully and then won against an incumbent, State Representative Hope Whitehead, in yes. 2010. Then in 2012, the district changed dramatically, and it became kind of a north-south district where uh, Hope Whitehead and Mike Owens, who is Lida Cruson's husband, ran against Carla May. And Carla May won by a pretty sizable margin in that race. Didn't, didn't really have any competition and then tried to run for uh, the committee selection for the 4th District. I believe in 2016 did not get it. Jake Hummel got it. She filed against Jake Hummel, and every observer I talked to thought Hummel was going to breeze oh, yeah. to that. And we were all wrong. Joe, what do you make of this? Yeah, well, she was pretty direct. I talked to her in the state house uh, this spring one day about this. I mean, she'd already filed. And uh, she had said that she thought that, um, frankly, she thought that the district, uh, that, that she was a better fit with the district than he was. I mean, she was very upfront about it, uh, racially and otherwise. And I thought, and I think also she's yet another example of the powerful, in many cases, underestimated African American women who run and hold uh, major offices in the St. Louis area. And um, she, her record, for whatever reason, I mean, people listen to her on the floor. She gives decent speeches in the House, but. She's always underestimated, and I've never quite figured that out when you look to see what happens. I mean, you don't win elections like that without working really hard. Now, she has some alliances, um, as all politicians in both parties do, and there was supposedly some behind-the-scenes stuff that went on the last few weeks that Hummel thought that he had the support of certain key people, and he didn't, and they had moved to May. But I think—but but that's— that's an in indication of her clout and savvy. And I want to just point out that she, too, is a member of Organized Labor. She's a longtime member of the Communications Workers of America. Yes. And um, I think that she's a, a politician in Jefferson City to watch now. She obviously has a lot more ability to effectuate policy as a state senator. And, uh, you know, the city of St. Louis is now going to be represented in the Senate by two African-American women, which, right. I, which, I don't, is termed out. which I don't think has ever happened before. And I will just say this. Brian Williams is probably the first African-American man. It's in the state Senate since Jet Banks. Or Lacey Clay. I don't know. When did Jet, Jet Banks. Banks? Jet Banks. 
So almost 20 years. So that's another milestone that he ended up breaking as well. Any final thoughts, Rachel? So two quick things on uh, Carla, the Carla May Jake Hamill race. Um, I know that like alliances are sort of important and intriguing to see like, oh, what are the behind the scenes deal? But you still have to vote. That's right. I mean, I, I, I don't care how many times like or how many people you get endorsed by. It, we saw that with with the Prop A coattails thing. Like, you know, Stanger didn't get into Stanger was endorsed by all the labor and he barely got the coattails. McCullough was endorsed by all the labor. He didn't get the coattails. So people still had to come out and vote for Carla May. So the behind the scenes maneuvering is intriguing and whatever doesn't affect the outcome of the election. I'll still be incredibly curious to see how the um, Carla May J. Cummel race sort of lines up with the recorder of deeds. Your favorite race. Michael we have Butler. Michael Actually, Butler that's a good after, observation. Um, that's a good observation. After uh, however long Sharon Carpenter total has been in office, minus like a little couple months stretch in there. Joe, final thoughts. Yes. Well, I think I think what Rachel says is it's everybody's going to be watching this because I think what you're seeing on the Democratic side, more pronounced on the Republican side, is a generational shift. And it's not just in who's running and who's winning, but also what the key issues are. And uh, I had some veteran Democrats in the Stinger thing who are wringing their hands because they believe that some older Democrats may start voting Republican because they can't stomach some. Uh, I mean, and I'm, I'm just putting this out there. Uh, some of the uh, uh, more progressive stance of some of the younger Democrats and the fact that they're now actually winning elections so they can't ignore it anymore so i thought that was a rather intriguing um uh, some intriguing observations so that means there's going to be some major discussions uh behind the scenes in the democratic camp going forward just as the republicans in the state also have a lot of soul searching to do especially when they look at those prop a totals my final thought a millennial will be recording deeds in the city of St. Louis. Congratulations to State Representative Michael Butler for breaking that milestone. And also congratulations to Sharon Carpenter for decades of service. I, I have used the Recorder of Deeds office when I lived in the city of St. Louis, and uh, I had uh, very good experiences there. I know you've known Sharon Carpenter for many, many years, and I, I, I think we— I think we as a political community do need to thank her for her service because she was a trailblazer. And we're going to need to get Michael Butler back on Politically Speaking. On that that note, uh, Jay Rosenbaum, follow me on Twitter. Rachel, where do people follow you on Twitter? At R. Lipman, two P's, two N's. Joe? Jay Manis, it's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. Read all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org and have a wonderful day because we're going to sleep